2: Never expected to be contacted. But who would? It's like the Skull and Bones, Masons, Illuminati, or Knights Templar getting in touch with you. The fucking secret cabal of the Vatican getting a hold of you to offer you a fucking job. Not only did you dispute their existence, but now they want to goddamn hire you? Hm. The Ostium Network. It was the epitome of Special Agent Fox Mulder's I want to believe poster. If you're not familiar with the X-Files, well, fucking shame on you. It took up a significant chunk of my immersion research. I didn't want to have to watch every single episode. A few would have been fine. But it was a fucking good show. Hooked me in good. I know the last few seasons dragged like a motherfucker. The plot kind of went out the window, I know, but still just fun to watch some of that ancient entertainment. What do they call it? Um, oh yeah, uh, television? (laughs) No, I'm only kidding. But that poster with the flying saucer. Aliens. Half the world thinks they've had a visitation, close encounter, or even a fucking abduction experience. The other half thought they were all fucking nuts. But all of them. Everyone wanted to believe in the existence of extraterrestrials. The Ostium Network is a myth, a legend, a rumor, an occasional thought. It's joked about and laughed at, because, like, next to no one knows if they're real. There's the faction of conspiracy nuts who love talking about it, along with every other fucking harebrained idea about something secret that may or may not exist, and those crazy few who do talk about it have no fucking clue what it might be. A group of the super rich looking to control the world economy? A cadre of supervillains? A syndicate of special people looking to wipe out most of the human race so they can live in a fabricated paradise? Yeah. Uh that last one's a fucking trip. <laughs> oh, Also, a conglomeration of the most intelligent people on Earth look to control the future and destiny of the planet. So, the usual. Get the picture? So, when I got a pop-up message telling me I had a new voice recording from the Ostium Network, I was about to trash it like a piece of rotten fruit. I still don't know what possessed me, what made me change my mind. Sometimes... I wonder if the ostium network was somehow able to influence me way back then. Way, way back then. Some fucking how. I don't know. I decided to delete it, make it gone, and continue with what I was doing. And just as I was about to look up and look right three times and send that voice message into the void, I stopped. I actually made the eye movement once, but... That's why the command is to do it three times, so you don't trash something accidentally. A thing humans have been doing since the first computer chip was used to compute. Though you can probably recover it if you really need to, though I've never needed to, so... I literally changed my mind on the spot and opened the voice message instead.
1: Hello, Monica. Thank you for not deleting this message and instead taking the time to listen to it. I guarantee you will not consider it a waste of your time. You may never have heard of us, but we are pretty sure you have because we know about you and your life and who you are. We are confident you know of us because of your history. We are the Ostium Network and we would like to offer you a position on our growing team. If you are interested, and we are almost certain you will be. You will meet with a woman named Kiao Zhang at the Five Elephant Kreuzberg on October 16th at fifteen hundred o It is, is located
2: like within the city river. of Berlin. I, I trust you will be able to find it, Monica. Do not squander this very special opportunity. The first time I met Kiao, I liked her right away. I don't know what it was. We just connected. It was fucking freaky that she had my exact coffee drink of choice made to my specifications ready for me. Still very hot. She knew, or rather, they knew, my coffee-drinking tastes. Down to a tea. (laughs) Sorry, that was a Jake joke. But if they knew something specific like that, three shots... One pump of vanilla, one pump of cinnamon, and chocolate shavings on top. They probably knew a whole lot more about me. I was scared. Fucking scared. Who wouldn't be? But I was also... Intrigued. Fucking curiosity killed the cat level intrigued.
3: Thank you for meeting with me,
2: Kiao said as soon as I approached her table. It wasn't the only table with a single person sitting at it but she'd been waiting for me to come through the door and immediately made eye contact. She was expecting me. She was a Chinese woman with striking eyes that drew me in from across the cafe. I knew it was her right away. Little did I know what our future together would be.
3: Enjoy your drink. I will do most of the talking. If you have questions, I will try to answer them, but... I'll let you know up front I can't tell you much about the Ostium Network. I can't tell you anything about where it's located. I can't tell you too much about your job.
2: What the fuck can you tell me? She smiled at me.
3: Good question. Drink
2: your coffee. It's specially made. That smile never went away. She told me I was the perfect candidate. My background would become very important in the job, but it would be unlike anything I'd ever worked on before. She told me that even though I was 56... The demographic for the company covered all ages from those still in their teens to those working through their 70s. The way she mentioned the septuagenarians, there was a short pause and a strange way she said the word, as if it wasn't quite right. Not exactly accurate. I didn't push. I wouldn't have got a straight answer anyway. I let her keep talking and enjoyed my coffee.
3: Your son has already been recruited.
2: I almost spat hot coffee across the fucking table. I didn't need to say what. My expression made it clear.
3: Please remain calm, Miss Chase. He was instructed not to tell you because they knew how you'd react.
2: Who the fuck are they?
3: The people I, and soon you, will work for.
2: I sat back and drank more coffee.
3: His skills, while different to your own, are just as valuable for the success and thriving of the Ostium network. You are also a key candidate because your parents are both deceased. Normally, we wouldn't have recruited someone like Steve Chase due to his mother still being alive. However, in this specific situation, they knew they could recruit both of you, circumventing this requirement.
2: Let me get this fucking straight. The Ostium Network only recruits and employs orphans?
3: That is correct, Miss Chase. Except in your case, as I already mentioned.
2: Why the fuck do they do that? So we have no ties? No fucking strings attached? Without hesitation, she responded.
3: Yes, precisely. But also because once he starts working for the Ostium Network, you can never tell anyone outside of the Network about it and its existence. You will have no contact with the outside world, except for those members of the Ostium Network, unless specifically
2: instructed.
3: And that is all I can tell you.
2: With that, she abruptly stood up.
3: If you decide to join us, and we know you will, please message the word yes to this number.
2: As she said that, the number appeared in my visual display. By the time I focused back on her, Ms. Zhang was already on her way out the door. It didn't take me too long to think about it. I could have called Steve, talked it over with him. (laughs) But I knew he was gonna be fucking gung ho about all this and itching to get started working for the Ostium Network. I didn't have much going on in my life at the moment, which was unusual. This was something new, fresh, and very fucking different. By the end of the day, I was messaging that number. I received coordinates to travel to and an exact date and time to be there. As soon as I set my foot on that jumper jet, my life changed forever. I was born into a good, supportive family. I know that sounds a little cliche, but I feel it's important. Lives. Lives are affected by their upbringing and how they began. I know that's not very fucking clear Hmm. what I'm trying to say is when you have strong parents from the beginning you have a lot more opportunity a lot more possibility of making something of your life not that if you don't have it you can't make something Uh. okay let's break this shit down foundationally we're a black family my dad was a dentist my mom was a lawyer Yeah, we were pretty well off. We never had hard times growing up. Well, not that I can recall. My parents were always supportive, always there for me, through school, through high school, at like every level. I was an only kid, and they were always there for me. When you don't have this kind of support, it's a lot fucking harder to make it, to do what you truly want to do. Not impossible, just really fucking hard and I owe it all to them. From a young age, I like designing stuff and organizing stuff. You know, houses and buildings and shit. Yeah, architecture. But also how multiple buildings are laid out. So there's the best access to things like stores and banks and businesses, post offices. I know, real boring shit, but you know what? Someone's got to think about it. Buildings keep getting built, houses keep getting made, Towns become cities, which become metropolises, which become fucking megalopolises. This planet is filling up with people, and they all need somewhere to live. So it's someone's job to organize it. A lot of someone's. One of those someone's happens to be me. I don't know. I just knew from a young age that I was into how those sorts of things were organized. And my fucking awesome parents supported me all the way. They helped make me a straight-A student. So high school, other than the usual teen angst, clicky bullshit, was, um, okay. I sent out the number of college applications, like, five. Again, parental support and money helped. I got accepted to four of them, but the last one took a while to hear back. Of course it was the one I had my heart set on, my dream school to go to. I had everything planned out. I was going to major in urban planning and architecture, and it was going to be awesome. And that's when I started to lose my shit day to day, wondering why the fuck they were taking so long to get back to me. I mean, I fucking lived in New York. So it wasn't like it was going to take longer for the letter, acceptance, or rejection to get to me. Plus, the post office, like, guarantees the mail only takes three days to arrive at its destination, right? That's been like a constant for what? 200 years? Almost 300? What little mail there still is. Well, my dream school, NYU. New York University. They were one of those respectable institutions, those last bastions that still sent out acceptance or rejection letters by mail. Go figure that this was the one I was waiting to hear back from the most. Then I finally fucking heard from them. And I was accepted. Squee Joy, my dream come true. My parents were both killed the day before. They were flying back from a combined work trip slash mini vacation. Mom did some work in Toronto. They spent a long weekend up there. The jet went down in Long Island Sound. Everyone on board was killed. I remember reading once, probably not too long after this fucking shitty tragedy about a pilot who was able to land a plane in the fucking Hudson saved everyone on board yeah I wish, wish that fucking pilot was flying my parents plane even though it was more than 50 years in the future but uh, yeah it was tough really fucking tough my life was ripped to pieces, but I still went to NYU a semester later. They understood and were fine with it. I got more education after, then some practical experience. Then I set out on my own. I wanted to get away from the place I lived, the place I grew up. Was too many memories. They all still felt so fresh. So I spent five years going around the world. Designing, building, developing, planning. A little bit of everything, everywhere. Both my parents had big life insurance policies. Not because they thought they were going to die anytime soon, but because they were smart people who always wanted to be prepared for anything. And that included both of them getting fucking killed and leaving me an orphan. And incredibly fucking rich. What with the properties they own, the money saved from their affluent careers, and those big fucking policies. So I was able to get the education and experience I wanted because cost wasn't a concern. But once I had all this, I didn't just want to be working for some big fucking fancy firm making a shit ton of money. And you know, spending it on shit I didn't need but was supposed to have because of the high paying job and the affluent life that went with it. (sighs) I didn't want any of that. I know it was the life I'd basically been living already with my parents, where money was never a concern, but I didn't like the way it made me feel, like I was above other people who had less money. Don't get me wrong, we gave a ton to charity and did a lot of good things for those who needed it, volunteer work, but I didn't feel a part of the real world, a real contributor. It wasn't until later, when I was older that I actually understood this feeling. I needed to get away from everything, put some space between me and all this history. So I went all around the world, building and making stuff, helping others. Sometimes I was well paid for it. Other times, I wasn't paid anything. I insisted on it. The experiences I had, working with these people, getting to live in their lives for a bit was worth more than any amount of money I could have gotten. It made me feel like I belonged, which I guess I hadn't really felt before, not since my parents died. And then everything changed. I came to the site early one day. I'm often the first one there with my giant sized coffee. Those were the days before my obsessive tea-drinking habit. The site was in a poor part of London. We'd gotten the land cheap. We were building new homes that were going to rent out cheap to low-income families. It didn't exactly have a river view, but the Thames was only a five-minute walk away. You know, that quasi-cesspool of a thing you could call a river. These days, it's all cleaned up, and I wouldn't exactly condone swimming in it and definitely not drinking any of it, but it's a lot nicer now. More eye candy than eyesore. God, that was terrible. Jake would be proud. And I need to stop avoiding what I'm trying to say. I came to the site on an early, cold, foggy morning. I like to walk around first thing, get a feel for the place. Going through my mind what I'd like to get done that day. And then I heard a sound. It's a very specific sound. A very recognizable sound. It's a sound that you hear, but you automatically question is that really what I think it is? There's always a doubt. Unless you're a parent. It was the sound of a child. A baby making a nonsense sound. Not crying, cooing. Just doing its thing. I waited. Then I heard it again. Then I reacted. I checked each of the rooms in the building I was in. Didn't take long. Found him in a laundry basket, all wrapped up in blankets. It looked like a boy. No hair, but the face. I thought it was a boy. Maybe six weeks old. Couldn't be sure. Hey, little guy. I said. What you doing here? Been here long? I knelt down and picked him up, still wrapped in one of the blankets. He was warm and heavier than I expected. He smelled fucking amazing, of freshness and newness and vitality and sheer living. I pulled him to my chest, and he reached out a little hand and rested it on my boob. I don't think you're going to get anything from there, little buddy, I said. My vision was blurring. I blinked away the tears so I could study his incredible, beautiful face. It was love at first sight. It's a cliché, but it's also the fucking truth. Eventually, other people arrived and wondered what the hell I was doing with a baby. And then we all started talking about options. These were people I'd spent the last two months with almost every day. They'd practically become family. I felt very open and comfortable talking with them. Pretty sure the feeling was mutual. So I felt confident enough to broach the question. What if I kept the baby? There was expected surprise at first. Two people telling me I couldn't do that. That I had to turn him over to Child Protection Services. That he had real parents who might realize they'd made a terrible mistake. That it was illegal to do that. I really... I don't really know where it came from. The thought and possibility just popped into my head. I saw a future unraveling before me like a narrow, straight carpet a red carpet that would take him and me into our future together. I saw that it could be. I knew what I could provide for him, how I could help him. His biological parents were probably poor. People who didn't feel able and or ready to look after and raise a child, I guess. That's why they'd abandon him, no? I tried to get these points across... While doing so, I thought about why he'd been left here, of all places. Why not a hospital? Or a school? Something more logical. I didn't mention this. Didn't want to let them know I was starting to think that maybe... There was the infinitesimal possibility... This child had been left... For me. Which is just fucking crazy, right? We talked for hours. Rationally. Quietly. The baby stayed in my arms the whole time, never cried, napped off and on, but remained comforted and content the whole time. (laughs) By the end, I didn't think I could ever give him up, no matter what we decided or what happened. They would have had to pry him from my arms. But I'd convinced them by then, to a degree. Even the two naysayers. Sort of. I'd give it time. A week. Then another week. Post a notice. Spread the word. If no mother or parent came looking, then I would decide what to do. The days passed. Then a week. I learned the basics of parenting. I learned what it was like not to sleep. I learned what it truly meant to put everything, including your own life, on the line for another living soul. It's an ideal that's bandied around in love songs, in movies. Giving your life for another. (laughs) Never really understood it. Until now. With this little guy, it was no question. Then the end of the fortnight arrived, and no one had come to claim him. The development project was almost done. They didn't really need me anymore. I knew my time was up. And that it was just beginning with this little man. I named him Steve on the first day I called him mine. I don't know where the name came from. I just liked it. liked the sound of it. I didn't check with my close friends, I just left, got the hyperchannel to France and started traveling through Europe with a baby in tow. It was a very different life, and I wouldn't have changed one second of it, not for anything in the world. When Steve's fifth birthday started cresting over the horizon, I knew it was time to change things up, to settle down. He needed to start school experience what it was like to live in a more permanent town, and get a regular education. I came back to America. But I wanted something new. So settled in Portland, Oregon, made a life there. And Steve grew up to be a wonderful boy, a surprisingly loving teenager and an adult I could be proud of. He went to Stanford, got a kick ass business degree, but not to make buckets of money for himself. No, he wanted to help those in need however he could. When he told me this before he started applying to different places, I couldn't hold back the tears. It was probably my proudest moment as a parent. <laughs> probably the proudest moment in my life. Once he was on his own, starting his own life, I went back to my old way of life, traveling the world and helping others, just like my son Steve would be once he graduated. A year after he got his degree from Stanford, the Ostium network contacted him with a job offer. He was in Peru. A week later, they contacted me. Even though we traveled to the specified coordinates separately, My son and I arrived at the Malaga Air and Spaceport 30 minutes apart. We'd been in touch, so Steve waited for me. And just like that, we were suddenly on the south coast of Spain for a reason that wasn't entirely clear yet. Once I met up with Steve, we hugged and reconnected and made our way toward the exit. It was so great to see him again, and even more awesome that we'd be working for the same company, in the same location. We were specifically instructed not to bring any luggage no additional items other than some personal effects and the very clothes we were wearing since my trip took less than half an hour this was totally fine if the ostium network wanted to make a clean breast of things a tabula rasa as jake would no doubt say i was okay with that start new and fresh into the next chapter of our lives outside We met a man dressed in a very sharp suit, waiting for us. Welcome, Monica. Steve. Thank you so much for coming. He shook our hands and actually sounded earnest. And I was getting pretty fucking excited about all this. He guided us to the self-driving vehicle, a very nice-looking Rolls-Royce. Like the man's suit, it was expensive. We climbed in and got comfortable. The man, who said his name was Wayne, offered us drinks. I took a crown and coke and sat back, enjoying the ride. Sadly, it was a short one. Ten minutes later we were on the shore of the blue Mediterranean. We followed the man down a big pier of luxury yachts. He led us to one of the largest. It was also a hydrofoil. Some fancy shit. More drinks, and this time a gourmet meal, which tasted like it had just been cooked by one of the world's best chefs with the world's best cooking equipment. I'm pretty fucking sure it was one of the best meals I'd ever had. And from the look on Steve's face, he was thinking the same thing. Wayne chit-chatted with us, but gave few details about the ostium network or where we were going. But I'd paid attention. Our options were either east towards places like Italy and Greece, or west towards the Atlantic Ocean. I started to wonder where the hell we were truly going. There wasn't a hell of a lot out in the Atlantic unless you wanted to travel far. This height of luxury transportation was fast, but not that fast. The Canary Islands, possibly? Then I had a thought, and my wondering? meter went apeshit. I couldn't believe it. I refused to believe it. So I sat back and enjoyed my tiramisu dessert and waited. A few minutes before I had my suspicions confirmed, Wayne had us come up to the cockpit, where the equally well-attired crew was steering and running the yacht. Ahead of us were the Pillars of Hercules, the edges of two continents, the gateway to the Atlantic. The coast of Spain was visible from our starboard side. Little changed in a hundred years in this area as far as the development. Then the scars became visible, the destroyed land. Blackened. I knew the fraught history. One of the crew signaled to Wayne, who nodded. He walked up to a console, leaned in, and received an optical scan, then a handprint. Finally, his finger was pricked for a blood sample. His DNA confirmed. He was granted access and input a very long and seemingly random code. The fog came from literally nowhere. It had all been clear. Then there was fog. The yacht shot through the fog, confident in its course, confident it wasn't going to collide with anything. The fog cleared, and there before us was the Rock of Gibraltar, a place that had been obliterated and razed to the ground, much like ancient Carthage, thirty years ago. We had reached the Ostium network. Three decades ago. Kind of close to this date, actually. Let's just say around this date. But definitely 30 years ago. Most people on the planet remember it well. Like those days when something fucking terrible happened. JFK assassination, September 11th, the L.A. quake, the Hoover Dam failure. Depending where you're from, what place you call home, Mine obviously tend to have an American lilt to them, but there are some events, some things, momentous things, catastrophic things. No matter where you are on the planet, you're going to remember it. The day the Rock of Gibraltar just totally fucking obliterated, somehow. That's a day you don't forget, no matter how old you are. Relations between Spain and Britain had been deteriorating for years, decades even. Spain wanted the stub of land attached to their country back, after dealing with some of its people wanting to be their own countries, and the whole Civil War thing back in the 20th century, like multiple fucking times. Different places, too, all of which got fucking stomped. This was its chance to get something back. On the other hand, Britain didn't know what the fuck it wanted to do. Things got tense. Real damn tense. They'd gotten tense before. Over, like, the hundred years this shit had been going on. But never this bad. People started bandying the term war around. All the nearby towns cleared out real fast. Like, overnight. No, not overnight. But, like real fucking fast, they didn't want to get caught in any crossfire. I think it was kind of like that Cuban Missile Crisis from way back when. You know, like fucking DEFCON 5 shit. And everyone just waited. On tender hooks, Pins and needles. Waiting for the fucking shoe to drop. Thankfully, it didn't. Some crazy deal was made between who knows who And then those in power on both sides signed some thrown-together contract. Just like that. The next part was just fucking weird. They gave everyone who called Gibraltar a home 30 days, a month, to leave, vacate, get the fuck out of there. They could go back to Britain or stay in Spain, but they had to leave the Rock. I still don't know why this was the arrangement they decided on. It's just really messed up. Makes no sense. I don't know if they were planning to change something in the town to make it officially Spanish. Do some sort of procession or parade or ritual or whatever. I don't know. It didn't matter. They never got the chance. E-Day came. E for eviction. And everyone was gone. It was just a fucking ghost town. Drones took aerial footage, zooming in. It was. It was fucking creepy as hell. Everything just abandoned. People had taken most of their shit, but a lot of stuff got left behind. This was a couple days after E Day, as they called it. Sometime in the afternoon, there were around 10 or so drones just recording footage over the town and the rock. And then. This massive fucking explosion happened, like H-bomb level. Giant fucking cloud engulfing the entire mountain. The footage on the drone shows normal stuff and then the feed cuts out a second later as all the drones are obliterated. They tried slowing the footage down to like increments of a millisecond. It still didn't show much. Just the explosion starting and coming up and then nothing. Nothing. The kind of weird thing is that it all looked the same from every drone, even though they were all in different spots. If the explosion had been centered in a certain part of the town, it would have looked different through each camera drone. But it didn't. Meaning the explosion had been fucking massive. This helped to explain that when, hours and hours later, the cloud and dust and all the shit in the air finally settled or cleared or blew away, there was nothing left. I'm talking absolutely fucking nothing. No mountain. No hill. No pile of dirt. No town. No buildings. No land. No sign of fucking anything. It was like the Rock of Gibraltar and the surrounding piece of land had just been picked up by aliens and taken away into space. There was water. The Mediterranean where there hadn't been any Mediterranean before. There was less Spain, since Gibraltar had belonged to Spain again, albeit for like barely a month. No one would believe it. They came from all over the world to witness this... What? Miracle? Impossibility? Enigma? The government of Spain was fucking pissed. Britain considered themselves lucky for pulling out when they did. And all those people who had been forced to leave were counting their lucky stars that they were still alive. Everyone had a theory, an idea for what actually happened. The popular one that the majority settled on was that it was a sort of terrorist attack. One of those fucking rare ones where nobody gets hurt except for some drones. Perpetrated by who? No one knew. Again, everyone had theories. But whatever caused the explosion, it wasn't radioactive, otherwise lots of people nearby would have died. It was a controlled, localized explosion meant to eradicate everything that was Gibraltar and nothing more. And that's exactly what it did although the whole thing never sat right, felt a little too sci-fi to me. We stopped at a single dock that looked like it only had room for one boat, the one we were on. We disembarked, and the boat guy waved by and disappeared back into the fog. Never saw him again. But I had the feeling I wasn't supposed to see him again. There was a man and a woman waiting to escort us. The man told us not to ask any questions. Well, actually, he said we could ask as many questions as we wanted, but we wouldn't be getting any answers. So it was better to just keep our tongues in our heads and shut the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. That guy rubbed me the wrong way from the fucking start, but I wasn't about to start anything, you know, it being the first day on the new job and all. We followed them to a small electric self-driving vehicle. The man and the woman got in the front. We were assigned to the back, facing away from them. As the vehicle drove us away from the dock, I told myself I could still see the boat in the fog heading away. But I knew I was kidding myself. I gave my son a look. It was the the what-the-fuck-have-we-gotten-ourselves-into face. It made me feel a lot better to see the same look mirrored back at me. They took us to a sterile medical facility. Along the way, we saw a number of other identical vehicles and people doing whatever the hell they were doing. They all looked like they had something important to do. A number of them were in lab coats, all well-dressed. At the facility, we each had a doctor perform a full physical on us, "'I got a female doctor. Steve got a guy. "'After the doctor told me everything checked out, "'meaning they must have some fucking futuristic lab equipment "'to do all the blood and urine checks that quickly, "'she told me that she was going to have to remove my implants. "'No, you dirty motherfucker, not those implants. "'I told you, I'm from the fucking future. "'If a woman wants to have big tits then she can pay a shit ton of money for some gene therapy. They don't do that barbaric shit with silicone anymore. That stuff was just... fucked up. No, I'm talking about the ocular and oral implants every teenager gets when they start high school. Yeah, I know. Makes those fancy smartphones of yours look like fucking manual typewriters. So, when she said she was going to remove my implants, basically cut out two parts of me. I lost it a little but she was prepared for this took and gave her own she let me vent for a good few minutes then asked if i was fucking done i got the picture and waited to hear what she had to say she then told me i had two options she could remove my implants and make me like everyone else here or they could call the boat back and while i was waiting for it my mind would be wiped of anything and everything to do with this place and I'd be dumped back on the Spanish shore with no memory of what just happened. And that would be the fucking end of it. I took my time. She gave it to me. I was really wondering what Steve was thinking. He must have gone through the same routine. Which way was he leaning? But I'd gotten this far. I'd already decided I wanted my life to do a 180 in some way. And this was certainly a fucking 180. Also, my curiosity about this place and how they wanted me to contribute was through the fucking roof. So I said yes. It took ten minutes and was completely painless. But it took me a week to get used to not being connected to the world net and having all those thoughts, ideas, and answers at my synaptic tips. Steve, because he's my son, chose the same, and we suffered through the instant data withdrawal together. After that, our school began. It was like being in fucking college again. It also took six months, five days a week, eight to four, and fucking homework on the weekends. But I learned a lot. We learned a hell of a lot. We got a lot of answers in those six months, a lot of answers to many of the questions we'd been asking about the Ostium Network and what the fuck was going on here. But not all of them, not by a long shot. So I'll tell you what I can, what I actually remember. There was a man behind the whole Ostium Network, I know, a man, fucking typical. But even in the enlightened future I'm living in, men still control a lot of shit. "'especially rich men. "'And this particular man was really fucking rich. "'We were never told who he was. "'He was one secretive motherfucker. "'I still don't know who he is. "'I know, pretty sad. "'But yes, there are that many rich fucking men in the world, "'so it wasn't clear which one exactly was behind the ostium network.' He was also a genius, as a lot of these guys tend to be. Like, off the charts. Like, never had any sense of a normal life. Yeah, it was pretty fucking weird we learned details about his life, but never found out who he was. The whole blowing up Gibraltar thing was his brainchild, naturally. We got an outline of what happened, with a few juicy details. But, of course, not all. All the answers. The massive explosion that looked like it obliterated an entire mountain didn't pack as much firepower as it seemed. It was more light show and special effects than actual destruction. Like using blanks instead of real bullets. It sounds the same, just doesn't hurt anyone, hopefully. The other half of the show, which nobody actually saw, was making the Rock of Gibraltar, including the whole fucking town, just disappear into thin air but it worked apparently it wasn't gone in a second but took a total of 12 whole seconds to be completely gone from the known plane of existence yes i used those words specifically of course no one knew this what with the pyrotechnics and big bangs and all that jazz but once it all cleared it did look like it had literally just disappeared into thin air There is enough physics involved to fill a book. I understand almost none of it. What I did get from it is this. Somehow, the brainiac of the Ostium network moved a mountain and town to a new plane, a new dimension, a higher level. I'm still not fucking clear on the concept. It's deep fucking level physics like subatomic particle interactions and string theory and quantum entanglement and lots of other gobbledygook. I heard that long one a few times over my training. It's this quantum theory where you have two really fucking tiny things spread way the fuck apart, and yet somehow they're connected. Yeah, I know. You're like, okay, sure, physicists. Say and believe whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, that's how I am, too. But let me just repeat that. Two separate things, far away from each other, that are somehow fucking connected. Sound familiar at all? Ring any Ostium bells? Yep. Jake would have loved that one, too. The Ostium network made Gibraltar not there in the real world anymore, but in another place that they could somehow access. See above with the fog and me not being 100% surprised. You know, more like 90%. The day after it all went kaboom, they started moving in and setting up shop. That's why we had to have our implants removed, because no one wanted any info about the ostium network and where it was located. Though supposedly this was also next to impossible, since we were in or on a different dimension... Is it in, or on? See, that's the sort of question that's perfect for Jake. He'd totally have an answer for me. He could probably talk about it for hours. (sighs) Steve and I went through a rigorous and thorough self-defense course that included weapons training. It was one of those things where they told us you're probably never going to have to fight someone and definitely not fire a weapon but we're going to drill you until you can do it all without hesitation anyway plus it kept us in great fucking shape also they made us do this training before we actually learned what the end game was i know pretty fucked up now you see why i kind of hate these guys at times hearing the words ostium network can make me cringe not always but sometimes We got a few days off after that to let our minds and bodies recuperate. By this time, we were getting to know some people and starting to feel comfortable calling this place home. Because that's exactly what it was now, whether we liked it or not. Everyone was in the same boat. Or in this case, on the same island. Yeah, Gibraltar was now an island, not attached to Spain. Obviously. Rumor was, if you wanted to get the fuck out, you couldn't. And if you tried, swimming was your only option. And you'd just swim forever, into the fog and the cold waters, never finding any land, until you just fucking drowned. Apparently, one guy tried it, was never seen again. But then again, I don't see them making this shit up. If you want to go take a long swim and face your fears and whatnot, be my guest. Although it is possible they made up the rumors about one guy trying it, just to make it more chilling and deadly, you know? When we came back from our mini-break... Actually, let me try and fill you in a little of what life was like on the rock under the watchful eye of the Ostium Network. A slice of life, if you will. As I said, there were lots of these itty-bitty self-driving vehicles that people could use. Without our implants, we had no way of communicating, really, other than word of mouth. However, on every floor, on every building, and about every 20 feet or so, there was a communications panel that put you in touch with a switchboard. There, you could request one of those vehicles for transportation just about anywhere on the island. You could get in touch with anyone you wanted if you knew their name, unless they were of a specific echelon. I'd say pay grade, but even though we were all getting money directly deposited into our bank accounts once a month, it didn't really matter. It wasn't important. You didn't use money on the island, so it was kind of pointless. When you retired, or left the Ostium Network, your mind would be wiped of Ostium Network material. Then a certain boat would come pick you up, and take you back to the regular normal world where access with our bank accounts would resume, and you discover you had a shit ton of money. I wanted some more details and actually brought this up in the training class, but the teacher spun a shitty story about how we were all just starting, so why did we want to think about what the finish was going to be like? Yeah, just like you treat a kid. Exactly. Bullshit. I demanded an answer. He gave me a vague one. When the time arrived, an arrangement would be made once one's clearance and knowledge level would be determined. Whatever the fuck that meant. But just like the informative teacher so kindly let us know, we could worry about it when the time arose. However, no one had retired yet and lived to tell the tale. So you could get around with those self-driving vehicles, or you could just walk. I guess bicycles would have been okay, but it would have made walking more risky. Place wasn't that fucking big, so walking wasn't a problem. Plus, free exercise. Oh, there was a gym. Should the walk not be good enough for one to maintain their robust and well toned figures? Insert here a miming gesture of me sticking my fingers down my throat. There were four places to eat in town two restaurants and two cafes slash sandwich places. They all had impressively large menus. Where they got the food from, I have no fucking idea. Half of it they probably grew and caught on the island, but the other half? That's an eternal mystery. That boat could have made daily trips, but that'd be a lot of fucking work. Plus, to supply a place this size, you'd need a bigger boat. Maybe they were getting it from other dimensions higher and lower ones? Parallel fucking universes? "'Your guess is as good as mine. "'All I know is the food was fucking fantastic "'and the menu changed monthly with a bunch of new things. "'If it wasn't for the walking, I would have been a lot heavier. "'Oh, before you ask, there was alcohol. "'A little wine, a little beer, and very few spirits. "'But I never saw anyone publicly drunk. "'I think people threw back the sauce "'in the privacy of their own apartments. "'Speaking of which, they were all mostly the same.' One bedroom, a decent-sized living room, balcony, no kitchen. You got all your grub from the eateries. That way they knew exactly what we were eating. Although you could get takeout if you wanted. Each one had a TV wall, but there was no live TV or news of the outside world. There was a local channel that had stuff once in a while about the haps on the rock, but mostly they played classical music. There was a fucking extensive on-demand movie and TV library that satisfied any cravings. Yes, before you ask, there was porn. Plenty of it, running the gamut of fetishes and sexual interests. And that's all I'm going to say about it. We all indulged when we needed to. As far as I knew, there wasn't a single printed book on the island, and no paper either, which made sense. Everyone had a tablet that did many things for them, allowed them to do most of their work, to connect with computers and devices throughout the island. There was even email, but we were connected on a local area network over the island. No outside internet whatsoever. Not even four-dimensional internet or whatever fucking dimension we were in. With the tablet, one also had access to, like, every digital book in the history of the written word. A fuck ton. <laughs> Jake would have been on cloud nine. Too bad. The tablet, of course, had a notepad and writing app. I've never been that gaga about movies and TV, although I enjoy a good book. But nights were quiet and kind of lonely. Steve and I would meet up for dinner and hang out sometimes... But I didn't want to be that mom cramping his style. He made friends fast and had fun hanging out with them. As someone who spent a lot of her life traveling the globe and meeting lots of different people, I make friends when I need to. It means I'm also very happy with my own company. So round about the second week of living on the island and having another quiet night alone, I started writing a diary, a journal, whatever the fuck you want to call it, Putting my thoughts and feelings and ideas down. What had been happening to me over the last couple of weeks. What I thought about all of it. It felt good. Like I was processing all the shit I'd been going through that day and getting it out of me. So the next day I felt refreshed and clear and ready for more aforementioned bullshit. It got to be routine. 15 to 20 minutes every night before bed. Like a nightcap. Wish I could have brought that tablet with me to Ostium. I guess, thinking on it, that's another reason I started doing recordings like these. I miss doing that sort of thing. I spent almost a whole year doing it, too, before all that shit went down. And it wasn't like I just wrote it down and forgot about it or never looked back and reread it. Over the months, I definitely reviewed a lot of past entries for details and stuff I'd learned, how my ideas had changed how my concept of the Ostium network and the big picture was molding into something different. Fuck. I wish I had that tablet now. Well, never going to see it again at this point. I guess if anyone ever finds it, if it somehow gets out of the Ostium network and into the real world, you'll get all the nitty-gritty details of my illustrious life on the island and all its going-ons. Okay, enough small talk, chit-chat. Let's get back to the big kahuna. Yeah, you may have noticed I have a whole fucking extensive repertoire of sayings, expressions, colloquialisms, and cliches. Well, give me a sec, and I'll get to the reason for that. After our mini-break, that first class was, uh, illuminating. Once we were all seated, the first line out of the teacher's lips—I can still remember it like it was yesterday—was— The Ostium network has harnessed the power of time travel. I know. Talk about a mind-blowing statement. The teacher paused, perhaps waiting for gasps or groans or screams. Fuck knows. But no one said or did anything. I couldn't even hear anyone breathing. I know I was holding my breath. Waiting. We were about to find out what the fuck we were all doing here. Then the teacher launched into lecture mode. The man behind the Ostium Network, who will not and never be named, brought together an elite group of skilled people from across the globe with an idea. A radical idea that with their help became a reality. We got some details, some whys, but not so much the hows. Plus there is probably a ton of math and physics behind it, all of which would have gone over all our heads. We were told that time travel had been made possible for just over a year now, but it was uncontrollable. People had disappeared, gone through and not come back. The Ostium Network was not willing to continuously risk people's lives, even if these people were willing to risk said lives. So, it required another year of working out ideas, plans, theories, and possibilities but all had to be absolute and thorough before any trials could be initiated. The problem, apparently, is harnessing the immense power of time travel. This was news to all of us, but it makes perfect fucking sense. Time travel takes a big wallop of energy to work. So the concept that was developed was that instead of having one specific device or door to pass through and reach any time in history or the future, the power needed to be dissipated in some way. The logical conclusion was that instead of one door, or Stargate, the teacher said with a smirk on her face, there would be many hundreds of doors. Each door wouldn't always lead to the same time, but by having many doors, it spread the energy we required to travel to any when, better, and led to way less chances of causing a chain reaction in the space-time continuum and ending all life and matter as we knew it. This is pretty much verbatim what the teacher said. Whether there was an ounce of truth to those words, don't fucking look at me. It seemed just as plausible as all the other shit that had been thrown at us so far. These doors were to be collected together. Various plans were considered and tried and failed. High-rise buildings, long rectangular buildings, penitentiary-style blocks. The final plan was settled on a town, enclosed by a high wall. There would be many different kinds of buildings with many doors. Finally, I started to see something I could do. Some way I could contribute to the Ostium network and earn that mysterious money being deposited into my account every month. They needed to create a town where time travel would be feasible. I'd obviously never done anything like that in my life. But there were many things over my years of working that I'd never attempted before, but came into with some basics and nothing else but common sense and the love of a good brain-boggling challenge. After that, we got divided into smaller classes, and I was joined with other architects, and we started working on creating the town that would be Ostium. We worked for months and months and months, different plans and shapes. What held us up a lot was working out how to maximize the number of doors to buildings within the confines of a town until I had a brainstorm one day. I asked, why did we have to have doors be attached to buildings? Everyone looked at me like I'd just asked why the buildings needed to have foundations. I brought up the fact that ever since we'd got here, We'd all been reading and watching any time-travel movie or TV series we could get our hands on. They were all made-up bullshit, but just in case there was anything in them, any increment of possibility or what-if that might ring true. None of us were scientists involved in the time-travel stuff, but we were just as obsessed. And when it came to time-travel, it was all about thinking outside the box, or the flux capacitor approaching things from a completely different angle as Doc Brown in the Back to the Future series liked to repeatedly remind Marty McFly you're just not thinking fourth dimensionally the doors I told them trying to gain back any of the respect I'd earned are the time travel devices the time travel contraptions or machines or whatever the fuck you wanted to call them they'd gotten used to my choice of vocabulary by this point I think it's a genetic thing, from a grandfather. Probably that dude from Jamaica who never took shit from anybody. The buildings and whatever was around the door wasn't important. For a moment, I thought about grabbing my tablet and snapping a photo. Yes, our tablets had cameras, of course. All the better for us to document our experiences and thoughts and ideas, no? Seeing all their shocked faces was fucking priceless. I swear there was even an open mouth or two. I may be engaging in hyperbole. My memory isn't what it used to be. And I was too busy fucking gloating in front of everyone to pay that much attention. The meeting was called after that while someone in charge with enough clearance and ability contacted some higher-ups and checked with the scientist to see if my idea was even feasible. The next day, we had an answer. A big fucking yes. This changed everything for us. There would be plenty of buildings with plenty of doors. But there would also just be lots of doors. All over, everywhere. We could run riot with it, and we did, because we didn't have limitations anymore. And the scientists and actual people who'd be building this shit loved it and lapped it up. I got word that the head honcho right at the very top, Mr. He Who Will Never Be Named, was impressed would have been nice to get a congratulatory email or a voice message. Something. I got bupkis. Well, that and the everlasting respect and adoration of my peers and co-workers as well as the teachers. So, not so bad. Steve was blown away and came to find me as soon as he found out. Then he proceeded to name drop me as his mom wherever he went. More time passed. Then we got word that the portal to the specific dimension where Ostium would be built was complete. Again, the details were many. We weren't told them, and even if we were, we wouldn't have been able to comprehend them. So no harm, no foul. We were just excited to get the chance to start making Ostium for real. I have no fucking clue how they created something upon which a town could be built in this dimension. Was the surface already there? Was it liquid? I did hang out with a scientist one night, and over coffee, he started telling me how it all worked. At this point, I knew a lot more people and was getting to be a lot more social. I still kept up on the journal entries. Needed that cathartic reset each night. Most of the stuff spouting out of his mouth went way over my head, like jumper jet altitude over my head. But he was having fun talking, and I enjoyed my coffee, and tried to understand every fourth or fifth word, which was more likely if it was a single, non-sciencey syllable. He was saying something linking subatomic particles according to their type of bonds and moving up in size until they became molecules and chains of molecules and yada yada. And, And that's how you make a surface in the dimension to build a town on. Sure. The first time we all stepped through the town was sort of already there the shape at least the surrounding wall was built and ready that had been someone else's idea a really fucking good one too outside the wall was just darkness like it is now untethered (laughs) at first there was just euphoria after staring at so many charts and blueprints this thing was finally fucking happening then we got to work and the town of Ostium quickly grew into a real thing before we knew it The buildings and doors were there. The scientists hadn't done their parts yet to make them time travel doors, but the infrastructure of ostium was in place. Then we had a meeting. A big, long, fucking meeting. fuck i never expected to talk this much for this long Uh, i've I've got a lot to say apparently but i'm getting close to the end now to joining up with the all too fucking depressing present it's final lap now ladies and gents and everyone in between come one come all The meeting lasted for six hours. Food and drinks were brought to us. By the end, we were all so fucking wiped we could barely make it to our beds. But the thought of supportive mattress and soft sheets was enough to get us home. I'd really hope the man in the high tower, your head honcho, would be there. But no. Of course, I'm sure he was listening in. We were on a precipice, and only us on the island actually knew it and knew about it. We had to do things carefully and slowly from now on, so mistakes wouldn't be made. Yeah, right. (laughs) Mistakes will always be made, no matter what, so long as there are fucking humans involved. When you play with fire, you get burned. Except in this case, we were playing with time travel. Time travel was our fire, and we had no fucking clue how to control it. But it it was also so enticing. So magical. Yeah, magical. That's definitely an appropriate fucking word. There was definitely something supernatural about it out of this world, in the realm of the impossible. I've been to some truly incredible places on this planet, spectacularly beautiful. I've seen fucking unbelievable things become reality, grow and exist. I've participated in them. Played my part in the seemingly impossible. I made it possible. But this this was something else. It was magical and enticing and so very fucking exciting. The possibilities were endless and they were all there for us for the taking behind those doors it was why we had all signed up for this agreed to abandon our current lives and start this new and interesting one the first hour of the meeting we just talked about these special times and places we wanted to visit historical events Moments from ancient times, moments from more recent ones. Everyone had a favorite one, that special time they'd always kind of dreamed about visiting. This probably wasn't the way the meeting was intended to go. But in a way, we were all blowing off a little steam, having a laugh, enjoying ourselves. So we got a lot of leeway. We'd earned it. Then someone started talking about the future. That started us all off on a new tangent. It was like Star Wars and Star Trek having babies and we were all riding in those gravitational waves and kick-ass future spaceships. Eventually, we started running out of steam, quieting down. The heads took their cues and started bringing the meeting to order, going over the great achievements that had been made and where we currently stood. As they spoke a group of scientists were spooling up and activating the doors. We didn't know exactly what that meant, but we knew it had fucking inferred. We broke out in a hearty round of applause and cheers and whistles. Then they started talking about consequences. The fact that not only would we actually be traveling through time, but we would have an effect on the time period we arrived in. There was no way not to. But the simple fact of us fucking being there was causing a change. As I said, we'd all read up and watched the time travel literature. Like, all of it. We'd been given specific class time for it. Yeah, just like fucking study hall. So as soon as they brought up this poignant subject that we knew was as inevitable as their mouthing the iconic words butterfly effect within the next 30 seconds... They did it in 22, incidentally. The famous Ray Bradbury story, a sound of thunder popped into all our heads. It was almost a fucking reflex action for me. Don't know about everyone else, but there was a communal sense going on. Yeah, kind of mystical. In the Bradbury story, set from some time in the future... There's a company called Time Safari Inc. that will take people back to hunt extinct species. There are specific rules to be followed, otherwise the contract is voided. One guy steps off the path, and when they all come back, things are different. Subtle things, little things. The language is different. The other guy won the big election. All because the guy stepped off the path and crushed a bug. Oh, yeah, you guessed it. A fucking butterfly. And now the heads are enlightening us about how the butterfly effect doesn't come from that memorable story that they know we've all read and practically memorized. They caught me there. I've read it somewhere between 30 and 50 fucking times. But it relates to chaos theory, a mind numbingly complex concept summed up with a pithy phrase. If a butterfly flaps its wings in one place, hundreds of miles away a hurricane begins to stir. Yeah. Smacks mightily of bullshit to me. And I prepare myself for a long-winded lecture on chaos theory, and am delighted when it doesn't come. Instead, they talk about when it comes to time travel, there are rules that are to be adhered to. There's nothing chaotic about it. We're informed that in the next few weeks we'll be receiving further training on this subject. But suffice to say, they continue, the goal of these missions is more one of observation than actual participation. To observe and witness the historical or future event, but never to take part in it. But what if someone from that time tries to communicate with us? Someone asks... The heads inform us before we go through a single door, we will go through a rigorous immersion process, essentially drowning us in everything about the time period as regards to culture, people, language, and everything else. So if one of us does end up in the very unlikely situation that some local tries to have a chat with us, we will be fully prepared. And then we're back to talking about our favorite times we want to visit. It goes on for another hour, all real polite and conscientious. Everyone's getting a turn, but not too long into it, I asked the heads a question. I'm cagey about it. I don't know if this has been on everyone else's minds, and don't get me wrong, I'm super pumped for this, like all of us here, but, uh, why are we actually doing this? What does the Ostium network get out of it? And for the first time, and probably the last, the heads were stumped by a question. Well, I don't know if they were stumped, but they took longer than the average five seconds to answer the fucking thing. Miss Chase, the head said, addressing me directly. I felt special. And for the first time, a little scared. Scared of them. I was scared of the rock the first time I set foot on it. Miss Chase, that is a very good question, and there's a very good answer to go with it. But for now, you don't get to hear it. There's an expression. That's above your pay grade. The question falls under this rubric. In time, at a later date, everyone here will know the answer. When it's the right time. So, who here would like to be there on the day Julius Caesar is stabbed by his not-so-friendly senators?' I never forgot that. I never found out, either. As far as I know, none of us did. Still a fucking mystery today. But we were just all so excited to become fucking time travelers. We went through further training classes all about time travel and its ramifications and what the Ostium Network rules and strict no-nos were when it came to traveling through. Oh, and most of this shit was without a doubt, made up, cobbled together, and decided on the night before. It had that hasty, unplanned feel that in most cases was just obvious. We pretty much knew if we fucked up, that would be the end. No second chance. We'd not be time-traveling anymore. And we'd be kicked off the island. End of story. And none of us were going to risk that. Until they did what they did to Steve. And then we had a month to decide on where and when we wanted to go. We didn't know who'd be going first or second or 50th. We were all pretty certain we'd get a turn. They'd done everything but promise this. It was why we were all fucking here in the first place. I took a while and couldn't agree on a specific event. I just knew it was going to be around the turn of the 21st century, sometime before or after the year 2000, within a decade or two. I just fucking love the geeky pop culture stuff from that era, in case you haven't noticed. They were okay with me not knowing exactly what I wanted to see and when. There were actually a few of us, but we all figured when it came closer to our time, we'd decide then. So next was the rigorous research. Six months of reading, watching, listening, absorbing. I did everything music, books, TV, movies, a million fucking commercials with some terrible jingles I will never be able to get out of my brain. <sighs> it was towards the end of the research period that I ended up chatting with one of the engineer developers, sciencey guys one night. I don't really know what the fuck he did, but the guy was involved in making something happen in Ostium, which was good enough for me. He started telling me about this infrared map he'd been developing for people going around Ostium. It was kind of limited, in that it only worked in Ostium, not on the other side of any doors, so the higher-ups weren't really that impressed or interested in it. They saw its potential, but weren't really putting a high priority on it. But he was having problems making it work in Ostium, like getting it activated. He wanted it to be so you pretty much stepped into Ostium, and there you had the map and could go to any door and navigate yourself around the whole town. He was still really excited about it. I guess it did eventually work okay. So, thanks for that. I know I said earlier I didn't remember where it came from, but this is a big part of why I'm doing this. My head is kind of foggy on a lot of this stuff, and going through it all step-by-step is helping make things clearer. I didn't remember the infrared map, so when I first experienced it, I was as shocked as Jake was, and it wasn't until just now that I remembered talking with this guy. We actually got a couple of very strictly guided tours around parts of Ostium, too. We obviously didn't get to open and go through any doors other than the clock tower. We checked out the kitchen and bedroom and bath. They showed us that crazy pantry that was always super stocked with a ton of food. Seemed like it went on for miles in there, but the guy who developed it had been with us on the tour that day, so he was able to talk about...
1: talk about what talk about what Monica
2: Jake Jake is that you
1: what what did he want to talk to you about Monica something about food
2: god damn it Jake I know it's not you I know it's not you. You're not fucking here. You're just a goddamn figment of my imagination.
1: Maybe. I guess so. Does, does that fucking matter? There's got to be a reason I'm here talking to you.
2: Of course there is. Because I fucking miss you. Because there's a fucking hole in my heart where you should be. Because you sacrificed yourself, Jake. You fucking committed suicide for me. And for saving the universe, Mr. fucking high and mighty. Till the very end. No surprise there.
1: So... What were you gonna tell
2: me? Ah... I don't remember. You fucking wiped my brain. Emptied my thoughts. I don't even remember what I was fucking talking about.
1: Something about someone telling you something about the food in Ostium?
2: Yes. Yes. The fucking food pantry. Thank you, Jake. No, not Jake. Thank you, Brain, for keeping it together. The pantry, with the food that never seems to end, but does, because it can't last forever. Nothing's infinite.
1: The universe is infinite.
2: Fuck you, Jake. I knew that. Which is why you were able to say it. Why my subconscious was able to say it. As for you, look imaginary, Jake. Can you just shut the fuck up for a little while so I can fucking think and figure this out?
1: Sure thing, baby.
2: I'm going to ignore that. Now, what had that guy been saying? That the food wasn't infinite. That was impossible. But it was a large pantry with a lot of room. But at the very back was a special reloading door. That was it. A door connecting ostium to the ostium network, to the rock. It was small made for a restocking cart to be slid through and added to the back of the pantry. So, it just seemed like there was never-ending food, only it was getting restocked from a door that led back to the island. He didn't show us the door. The pantry had been fully stocked at that point, and you couldn't see a fucking thing in there other than piles of food. But that little door was supposed to be there, at the very back.
1: Then what the fuck are you waiting for?
2: You're fucking right. Maybe I didn't think this through. I just opened the pantry door, and I'm staring at mountains of food. It's definitely not as much as that first time I saw it with everyone else. That was packed solid, and Jake and I have been eating through it for a while now, so it's definitely less. There's space. Wait a second. Has the Ostium Network been restocking this pantry through the special door? Logic says yes, of course. What about us being untethered? Did that sever the connection? Well, who the fuck knows? I sure don't i said it over and over. None of us knew what we were getting into with Ostium. So the idea that it could become detached from reality was something that was never even hinted at by anyone. And we had many conversations about what the future of Ostium held for us. When I saw the reality on top of the water tower, I just knew that that's what it was. I accepted it and told Jake, not knowing how or why this thing happened, just that it did. And now here I am. About to go through what I thought was a back door. A secret way back to the Ostium network. Back to the rock. Thinking how fucking smart I was. But what if I go through that door and just fall into the blackness? Fall forever. Like spinning endlessly in space, never connecting with anything. Was there anything that could tell me that wouldn't happen?
1: How do you know if you don't try?
2: But is it worth the risk? Worth the sacrifice.
0: What do you think?
2: What do I think? I think you sacrificed yourself, Jake. You did it. And now you're fucking dead. Was that worth it? Huh? Was it fucking worth it? At least
1: I did it with a smile on my face. What did you say? At least I did it.
2: I know what you fucking said. I'm I'm thinking about it processing it, as you would oh so eloquently put it. I don't know if you did it with a smile on your face, but you were sure keeping it together. No crying or shouting, just telling me what I needed to do. When I wanted to bring you with me, you told me no. It couldn't be that way. I had to go. You had to stay. Them's the rules.
1: I accepted my fate.
2: Yeah, you knew what needed to be done. You made your decision, and you stuck with it. You you let the Blackness take you.
1: I accepted my fate.
2: Is that because you knew something, Jakey? Something you never told me? Something about what the Blackness does to you?
1: I accepted my
2: fate. You could control it after all. You were the one in charge at times. The fucking puppet master. Getting stronger each time it seemed. And that last time... I accepted my fate. That last time maybe you knew you might survive. That you had a chance. A fucking fighting chance. And you took it.
1: I accepted my fate.
2: Well, now it's my fucking turn. To accept my fate. Whether it takes me and spits me out the other side whole or breaks me up into little pieces and ending me, I need to accept my fate. So I started pulling out all the food. I knew it wasn't going to be a quick job. There was a lot. A lot. As I might have mentioned a couple hundred times. At first, I was stacking stuff. Neatly. Probably how Jake would have done it. Keeping it organized. And the reason for that? Well, like anything you take out and keep stacked and organized. Because it needs to go back in neat and organized. Which is much harder to do and takes a lot longer when it's in one big unruly pile. But this was a one-way trip. I never had any fucking plans to put all this shit back in the pantry. Once I had this thought, there was no more stacking. The food went everywhere and anywhere. I started feeling like a burrowing mole. As a path opened up in front of me, I dug deeper. Some cans were falling behind me, rolling around, sort of blocking my way out. But I didn't fucking care. I was moving forward with the goal of getting the fuck out of here. Minutes pass. I started to get a little claustrophobic. All these boxes and cans and cartons all around me, the way out closing up like a pit of quicksand. But I knew this couldn't go on for fucking ever. There would be an end. There would be a source. As soon as I thought this, I started hearing a humming. Getting warmer. Getting warmer Literally. I could feel it in the air now, not much, just a difference, a few degrees. I was approaching something that didn't seem normal for Ostium, and then I was there. Relief poured over me like a bucket of cold water, but just like when you break through to a secret place. You don't sit back and congratulate yourself on a job well done. No, you keep fucking digging. You keep going until that hole is big enough to let you through, and you get the fuck inside and satisfy that raging curiosity within you. I swam through the food, sweeping armfuls of it behind me, climbing on it, crushing it beneath my feet. I was against the far wall now. The whole thing felt warm, unnatural. I cleared more space to give me some moving room. I found the secret door way low down. It reminded me of something. What was that? Oh, um... Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. The book. That book. It. By that Stephen King guy. Horror writer. A really fucked up book. Especially when the kids were having sex with each other. Who the fuck writes that and thinks it's okay? And who the fuck publishes it? But there was this scene, with the evil terrorizing the town, its lair, in a secret, hidden place, with a tiny door, an unnaturally tiny door, for a menace so huge and terrifying. That's what this door was reminding me of. It didn't seem the right size. I guess it was enough for pushing food through. Didn't make it fucking right. And this is my ticket out of here? How the fuck am I going to fit my considerably voluptuous self through that teeny tiny door? My heart sinks and I start to give up. There's just no way. No. Fucking. Way. It's over. I really am stuck here. Well and truly fucked. This is the end of the line for me.
1: Do you really want to live forever?
2: What? What the fuck does that mean, Jake? You're quoting fucking Conan the Barbarian at me? How in hell is that helpful at all, brain? What are you trying to tell me, subconscious? No point in being deep and inferring and allegorical. I'm at my wit's fucking end here. Just say it. Don't spray it.
1: I fit through the door.
2: Did you? Did you now, Jakey? Well, fucking bully for you. Ain't that just a walk in the park? So glad you could fit through the door. That doesn't exactly help my predicament. Now does it? Great. Just fucking great. A really fucking great time to develop an immediate case of cat got your tongue. Right when I could really use a helping. Wait. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a fucking second. You fit through the door. You, Jake, not here, not this fucking door, back in that cave, that place, the fucking... the fucking skull cult. I remember. You knew all that shit about it, knew where we were, what the skulls were, and then there was the little tunnel. Way too fucking small for you or I to fit through. A small woman, sure, but not us. And yet... And fucking yet, you crawled through. You made it to the other side. You fit. Just like you said. Ostium made it so you could fit. Ergo... I make more space. Clear away more redundant food that I never want to look at or have to deal with again. Eventually, my fucked-up shrine is all set up, the cans and cartons and boxes all bowing down and praying to the sacred door I kneel before. I take a breath and hold it. That always seems to be Jake's go-to thing. I reach out for the handle and stop. For just a moment, my brain screams at me, "'Why is there a fucking handle on the inside?' Great question. Right now, I don't give a fuck. If I don't start getting this door open and making my way through, this whole daydream is going to go up in smoke, and I'm going to have to crawl back through all that food. I don't want to do that. I refuse to do that. I turn the handle and yank on the door. It opens easily. On the other side is blackness. No, not just blackness. There are sparkles of something in here, but it's still fucking blackness. I wait and count slowly to five. I hear nothing. No screams, no sounds... Okay, fucking good enough for me. I start crawling through the stupidly small doorway, knowing it's too fucking small for me, feeling really, really stupid for even trying. And doing it anyway. My head goes through easy, but my shoulders hit the sides of the doorway. I let out my breath and take in another, a much smaller one. I turn my body, going in one shoulder at a time, I start moving again. The darkness seems to move again. To shy away from me somehow as I come closer to it. Maybe it's waiting for all of me to be inside before it pounces? Probably. Next it's my stomach, then hips. I take shallow breaths, trying my darndest to keep calm, to keep it all together. I curl my body upwards, bringing one hip through, then the other, ever so slowly. (laughs) I don't know how I'll deal if I get wedged in anyway. And then all the questionable bits of me are through. It's just my legs and feet that I drag in, bringing myself to a kneeling position. And I'm praying to the shrine from the other side now. With a very shaky hand, I reach out and grasp the door handle that's also on the inside of the little door and slowly pull it closed. It closes softly and gives a sound, sealing me in on this side. I let go of the door handle in terror, knowing my chances of ever finding it again in this darkness are small. I get to my feet and turn around. I still can't hear anything. For shits and giggles, I try bringing up that infrared map. No dice. Nothing happens. No surprise, I guess. (laughs) My eyes are open, but I'm not really seeing much. Occasional fireflies of light. They all seem really far away, like twinkling stars that you know are thousands of light years in the past. I turn my head, looking in different directions. No chance. All looks the same. I feel something give a mental tug from over there. I don't know what it is, but it feels right. Feels okay. Feels sort of safe. I start walking towards it. My feet make wet squelching sounds, like I'm walking through mud. Sure fucking glad I can't see what it actually is. I keep a steady pace and feel the pull becoming ever so slightly stronger. Okay. Guess that means it's kind of far away, but I am getting closer. Just when I start to relax a little and feel things are going my way for a change, I hear the first moan. Oh shit. it, fuck. That's when my legs start moving faster, like on a treadmill. When you mash that plus button to go the fuck faster, the moans start multiplying. Then I see wisps of white in the darkness, like strange after-images on your retina. They grow and start to take shape. Ghostly faces. Oh, then skulls. I'm running now, like a fucking bat out of hell. The pull within my mind is still there and getting way stronger now. I'm breathing heavy because I'm out of breath and tired but also because I'm fucking terrified. A flash of white. Something pushes me to the side. My legs almost become tangled but I manage to keep my footing. Then I run even faster where whatever the fuck that thing was touched me is a burning sensation. I don't fucking have time to look and see if I'm hurt. Then it Or another something pushes me from the other side. I'm kind of ready. I lean over with the push, then spring back up. Now my left arm is hurting like my right. Burning. A cold burn. Like when you stick a bare body part in snow for too long and frostbite starts considering taking up residence in that body part. God, I sound just like fucking Jake. That gives me more time. I don't know how. Or why. Maybe saying his name? But nothing attacks me for a whole 20 seconds. Getting much closer. Then I got walloped from the right side again. This time I'm not expecting it. I go down. I try to roll. I land on my elbow. Hard. It hurts like a bitch. I moan. Oh. Right along with those scary ones. Adding my own pain and suffering. But I roll well and jump back up with bare seconds lost. Now I'm running for my dear life. These sounds are getting louder now. There are screams. It makes me wonder if there will soon be teeth. I'm not going to wait to find out. Then I can see the end ahead. Another fucking tiny door with a glowing outline. There's only one way I'm going to make it through alive. I've got to be fucking fast. I've got to be fucking perfect. I duck left, then right, trying to throw those fuckers off coming after me. Then I'm just about there. I tense my legs, bend them, prepare, and then dive. My hand is out in front of me, reaching. As soon as my fingertips touch the doorknob, I begin turning it. By the time the rest of me makes contact with the door, we're talking one, two seconds here. The handle is fully turned and the door is thrown open by my weight. As I pass through, I let go and tuck myself into a ball. I fall and roll, not hitting the ground so hard this time. I don't have time to look and see where I am. I spread out my arms and legs to stop myself. Then I'm crawling back to the tiny door where the things are starting to come through. I flip myself around, going feet first. I don't want to have to touch any of it. The things grasp at my feet. I distract with one foot while the other pulls the door closed. I lay down and take deep breaths, trying to calm down, trying to clear my head. I count slowly to 50. That helps. (laughs) A lot, in fact. Carefully, I get to my feet. I'm in one piece. Nothing's screaming in pain. That's a good thing. I look at my forearms where that thing or those things touched me. The skin is gray, like it got badly burned or instantly turned to frostbite. Huh. Okay, then. Well, we'll deal with that shit later. I look around me and see a room I've never been in before. But it's still somewhat familiar, because it's of a familiar design. A design I only ever saw in one place. The Ostium Network. I'm back on the independent rock of Gibraltar. I'm back home, just like I wanted. There's no one in the room. I look through the glass at where I presume there's a control booth. There's one. It's also empty. I start jogging, leaving the room, going to the next and the next and the next and... You get the picture. Eventually, I end up outside, on the street. Above me is a clear blue sky, a warm sun shining down. It feels fucking glorious. But I'm not really appreciating it right now. Because I'm back on the rock. Part of the Ostium Network once again. And I'm totally fucking alone. Again.
0: This Supercut episode was written and produced by Alex e. Talander. The part of Monica is performed by Georgia McKenzie. The music was composed by Chris Fletcher. You can help support Ostium and allow me to pay my actors more and get us to events like PodCon by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ostiumpodcast. For as little as $2 a month, you gain access to lots of bonus materials, like outtakes, Ostium files, the Welcome to Your Door series of Ostium vignettes, the Behind the Ostium Behind the Scenes series, and your very own door number. At the $5 level, we'll send you a cool Ostium sticker. And at the $10 level, you'll get access to new episodes a whole week sooner. So why not consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash ostiumpodcast. Thank you for your support, and see you in two weeks.